So You Want to Be a Ninja, Episode 7, Master of the Rig with Jay Flores, Part 1. What's up everyone? My name is Ratasha Earbaron, aka The Ice Ninja, and you're listening to another episode of So You Want to Be a Ninja. Now admittedly, I wanted to get this episode out a couple weeks ago, but things have been crazy lately, so I need to just give you a little update here on my life. I just moved into my new apartment five days ago. That same day, I competed in a UNAA qualifier, and I'll get into that in a second. Two weeks before that qualifier, I went to a different UNAA qualifier in Palmetto, Florida at Live Training Center, and that's where I intended on qualifying for regionals, and that didn't happen. Um, yeah, I got last out of about 50 competitors. I didn't put on the performance that I knew I could, and I think I just put a lot of pressure on myself. So what happened was I messed up the second obstacle, which was the slack line, right? And it was a short slack line. It wasn't a long slack line. It was pretty doable. I'm usually pretty good with balance, but I don't know what happened. I stepped on that slack line. I guess I didn't really focus. I fell off. They're like, oh, it's okay. Do it again. So I used my mulligan and just kind of went into it without resetting, messed up again, messed up the obstacle after that got the obstacle after that, and then every obstacle thereafter, I would almost complete it basically, and then just fall off. So I ended up getting three out of 10 points, last place in the whole competition, and it was just, it was crushing, honestly. Um, I qualified for UNA last year, but didn't get to go. I had a big family event happening, and I decided to go to that instead. So I've been wanting to compete in regionals for a year now. And then I found out that I had to move within a couple weeks. So found a new place, signed up for another competition in Jacksonville a couple days later after live. Completely intended on going, paid for the competition a couple days before something happened with the moving situation. And I had to transfer my ticket to a friend. I couldn't go. There was one qualifier left in Florida, which I thought I would make. But my moving date ended up being the exact same day as that qualifier in Miami, which was only an hour from where I'd be moving from. And when I found out that I couldn't go to the Jacksonville competition, I was also in the process of giving away my birds, which I've had for close to 20 years. So that was really hard because they're like my children. You know, think about it. If you had to give away your dog or put your dog to sleep, I'm a bird person. So this was really, really hard for me. And it was just like, it was a very emotional couple of weeks. If you know me, I'm not an emotional person. I'm pretty resilient when it comes to things. Nothing really bothers me all that much, but it was just a lot of stress at one time. And I was just all over the place emotionally and spiritually so it was it was tough I don't even know if I'd be able to put on a good performance in Jacksonville that weekend because my mind was just everywhere so I'm like well let me think this through so the competition the Miami competition was the same day as moving but I found out you know when the moving truck is coming the time frame that it would take for us to move everything to the new place and long story short I didn't pay for the competition until the day of, until I knew I could actually get there. Dropped off the last box at around two o'clock, raced down to Miami, 
and got to the competition right at the end where they were explaining the rules. This was St. Patrick's Day too, by the way. Um, everything happened on St. Patrick's Day. I'm part Irish. I think I had a little bit of luck of the Irish that day. I don't know, but whatever it was, I got to compete and I ended up qualifying. So I placed third overall in females and it was just, it felt amazing. Like I could have cried. And again, I'm not an emotional person. Can't tell you the last time I cried except for those couple weeks where everything was just happening all at once. But it ended up working out in the end. And I think it just goes to show you that the mindset of a ninja warrior or an obstacle course race athlete, you are taught to become resilient and figure out a way to get through obstacles, not just on a competition course, but in life. So that mindset really helped me out here in those couple weeks. Ended up qualifying and now I get to train for regionals, which will also be at Live Training Center in June. And one last thought on this competition before we get into the obstacle of the day, which is the rig. I just want to give a shout out to my coach at ATP, Coach Casey. She got first for this qualifier in females, so congrats to her. It was awesome getting to see my coach run. And I just want to thank her for telling me to take my headphones off the last few minutes before my run because... I mean, I really wanted to qualify, and sometimes when you get in your head too much, that's when you start messing up. So she told me to take off my headphones and just be present. Those two words, that little small action of just taking off the headphones, listening to everything that's going on in the room, and realizing like, okay, I'm here to enjoy myself. This is why I like to do ninja. That really helped just take the pressure off of my run. I had fun. I was smiling. I ended up getting 8 out of 10 points. It was great. Thanks, Coach Casey. But enough about me. Today on the show, we're talking to Jay Flores, a.k.a. Captain Puerto Rico. And this is a guy that I've only known for a few months, but it feels like I've known him a lot longer, but in a good way. He is just the type of person that you want to be around. He has great energy. He's a hard worker. He's supportive, humble, and just an overall fun guy. Jay is a ninja warrior, OCR coach, conquered the gauntlet and force five pro team athlete, and a motivational speaker who has done some TED Talks. He lives in Miami, Florida, but he's like never here. He's always traveling around the world, around the country, speaking as a global STEM ambassador, and competing in various OCR events. He won overall at Tougher Mudder, Wisconsin, the Beast OCR Challenge in Puerto Rico, and conquered the gauntlet Dallas, and racked up 15 medal finishes overall last year. He also won gold and silver in the 15K and 3K National Obstacle Course Racing Championships, respectively, and won the Master of the Rig competition at the 2017 OCR World Championships. But wait, there's more. He's been a course tester for American Ninja Warrior and qualified for this year's UNAA Regionals. Today, Jay tells us how he got into OCR, how his engineering background helps on ninja and OCR courses, his experience competing for Master of the Rig against ANW veteran Jamie Ron, his top tips for mastering the rig, and much more. Just so you guys know, this episode is going to be a little bit more OCR based, and then the second part of the episode, which I'll be releasing, 
within the next couple weeks will be a little more ninja based but keep in mind that they both cross over to each other so you're definitely going to learn some stuff here if you're an OCR athlete you're definitely going to learn some stuff here if you're a ninja and you're definitely going to learn all about the rig and without further ado let's welcome to the show Captain Puerto Rico Jay Flores all right so how are you doing today Jay doing good uh trying to rest up from my trip but everything's going well yeah yeah you um <laughs> you were gone for what a couple of weeks uh 10 days 10 days okay and where did yeah. you go so i went um from here i went to hong kong i spent one day in hong kong from hong kong i went to singapore i was in singapore for two days and then i went from there to india and i went to two different cities in india um and spent two days in each of those so it was only 10 days but uh, if you count all the travel and how much things I actually did, it probably did feel more like two to three weeks. Yeah, that's that's a lot to pack into 10 days. What were you doing over there on the other side of the world? Yeah, it's pretty wild, um, back to back. So I'm a global STEM ambassador is my, my role, I guess. And basically what that means is I'm doing whatever I can to help grow the future talent of you know kids that are excited about being in math and science and manufacturing and kind of helping inspire them to go into those fields and to excel in that space. And so I was out in um, those countries helping develop kind of the programs out there and getting more um, of our employees excited about it, inspiring students and trying to get kind of more support around them as well. So a little bit of everything in each country was a little different based on their needs and also, you know, in some of those countries, science and math are a lot more celebrated than they are in the States. And others, there's other challenges. So it, it was interesting to just learn the different types of challenges that each country faces, mm-hmm. whether it's financial or whether it's um, opportunities, um, and try to find like the right mix of stuff to help kids in, in those countries. So it's a lot of fun, and I learned a ton. <laughs> cool, yeah. And I saw like saw the pictures you were taking out there and stuff, and the videos, and it's such a different world out there. It must be cool to be able to travel to all these places for your job. Yeah, literally, it's like eye-opening. And I've traveled a, a good amount in my life, but it was my first time in India, my first time in Singapore. I've been to Hong Kong before. But um, just like, for example, driving in India was wild. I mean, it's it's actually, I guess, safer than in the States. Like, there's less accidents. Really? But huh. um, there's not as much, I guess, structure in the roads, right? So, like, mm-hmm. it's just, you know, weaving around and you're not, you're not really fo- following any lines in the road. You just, you know, you go wherever your car fits because there's so mm-hmm. many people, you know, there's billions of people there. Um, and it was at first, like, it, you just freak out because you're, like, so close to other cars and yeah. everyone's honking and all this stuff. But you start to realize it's it's just different. It's not wrong necessarily. It's just different from what um, I'm used to. And once you start getting used to it, you're like, you know, actually, this is more efficient. You know, Miami traffic yeah. would probably move a little quicker if we drove like this. And right. um, it's, it's a little scary at first, but you realize, you know, it's it's just what they're used to. And yeah. as you kind of learn that different countries have different perspectives, you can take um, bits and pieces from each area and kind of apply them and understand, like, how could that make what we do better? Or how could mm-hmm. we help them in different ways? That's kind of Yeah. Cool. No, I'm sure, like, that's really insightful uh, for you guys working over there. Um can you tell me like how you got involved with STEM and like why you wanted to get involved um, as a global STEM ambassador? Yeah, so um, when I was growing up, like I had two options for my parents and that was either college or 
college. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> so me too. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, but I wasn't really sure exactly what I wanted to do. My mom's side of the family had um, kind of more like a medical background. My mom's a psychologist. My grandpa's a doctor. On my dad's side, um, not as college educated, but more military background. Um, so my dad was in the army. My grandpa was Air Force. And um, they kind of then went into an engineering type field afterwards because of their military experience. So I was kind of in this middle world of like science on like the doctor side or like engineering. Mm -hmm. um, I guess my math teachers said I'd be a good engineer and stuff. So I started exploring it. Um, and there's a lot of outreach programs that really helped me understand that, yeah, I did want to become an engineer and that helped me kind of bridge the gap of what my school was teaching me and what I really needed to succeed because engineering school is pretty rough. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. And <laughs> so I was really um, grateful for those types of programs. Um, so in college, I started trying to figure out how could I give back and support similar activities for young kids that were in a similar situation to me or, or even worse, that didn't have parents that were giving them, you know, the direction. And so that became a big enough passion of mine mm -hmm. And a big enough business need in the industry, not enough students are pursuing these types of degrees. And it's not celebrated as much as we celebrate sports and, you know, and um, movie stars and stuff like that. Right. right? So um, I, I just wanted to help kids see that it was cool and like show them that, yeah, maybe in your math class, like writing these equations down is not the most exciting thing. But if that equation can help you put something into space or if that equation can help you design a cooler shoe, mm -hmm. A shoe with better grip, maybe, right, for Ninja? Oh, yeah, that, that would be helpful. <laughs> Sign me up for that shoe. <laughs> exactly. So, like, when you have that cool example, that's what makes it fun, right? Y equals MX plus B is not fun unless if it means something to you. <laughs> so what I try to do is help right. those kids find out what that equation means for them. Okay. And when they can figure that out, then, you know, they can have a rewarding career and kind of change the world in that space and whatever they're passionate about. Again, whether that's a shoe or space or, like, um, curing cancer, whatever that may be. Yeah. Um, what was the what was the degree that you got specifically? So it was engineering, but it was it was mechanical, right? Yep. Yeah. So I got my degree from University of Wisconsin uh, in mechanical engineering. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. And I've noticed, like I've, I've mentioned this to you before, uh, if you watch the people who are engineers on American Ninja Warrior as their day job, they tend to do really well, and they don't mm -hmm. look like the most athletic people. Um, why do you think that mm -hmm. is? Both in Ninja and in OCR, there's a lot of really successful athletes that have an engineering background. Um, so I, I've tried to kind of ask myself that question as well. Um, I think it comes down to a couple of things. One is mm -hmm. it's just the discipline that it takes to get through engineering. You know, you're used to like hard hours and, and really grinding mm -hmm. to figure stuff out. Like I remember some homework problems that would take like hours just to like figure out how to get started. So you're, you're used to that kind of like discipline of the hard work paying off over the long term. And so you can apply that into other, you know, other areas of your life, whether that be training or eating right, etc. And I think there's also just this kind of um, different way of looking mm -hmm. at things, right? You're, we're always looking to solve problems. So when you're, we're attacking an obstacle, we look at it potentially a little differently. We look at the science behind it and, and body movement and try to understand like the most efficient way through. And um, it's not that an, another person won't be able to do that just as well. It's mm -hmm. just, I think we have like 
more of a natural instinct to look at it that way, to always look at it that way. And then also can apply some of, I guess, our, um, depending what kind of engineer you are, the type of um, background. So mechanical engineering has a lot of physics Mm -hmm. involved. So I can look at uh, an obstacle or a rig and try to understand the physics behind it as well to try to find the most efficient way through, the fastest way through, depending on what my goal is at the time. You kind of make me wish that I took physics instead of (laughs) what I take. I think I took marine biology because that science just didn't make sense to me. Like, yeah. I don't know, was it a couple of weeks ago? I was working on this rig that I went out on at an OCR style event that we had at ATP. And you're like, okay, let me see you do it. And you did this, like two little things. You pull back on the, the monkey bar <laughs> and you're like, just wait there, pull back. And then that's going to give you a swing to get to the lache and just like carry your momentum. <laughs> and then on the, the next one, you just keep that momentum going, like keep swinging, don't stop. And I, I got it, like, right after you said it. I was like, wow, I would have never thought about just that little pullback and, you know, mm-hmm. it gets you through much easier. So that was that was pretty cool and helpful. Yeah, exactly. I think that's the, the problem-solving mind and being able to observe those type of things, right? And I think the other piece is looking at, again, we take usually as engineers a really complex problem. You know, we're, we're usually inventing new things or doing things in ways that have never been done before, right? So they're, they're usually, you're looking at this problem, it's kind of ridiculous, it's large. And so we find ways to break it down into the right steps. Mm-hmm. So that rig you're talking about was a pretty long rig. 50 right? foot and rig. In competition, mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly, right? 50 foot rig. So in competition, you're probably not, you know, you're probably thinking just about what your next few steps are. But if you look at that big problem and break it down and try to find, you know, what are the the key points in which I need to really be efficient or I need to think about my movement or how did this piece of the rig connect to the next piece of the rig? I think that's where you can find those little things that really will help you conquer it and make it much easier instead of like muscling through or Mm -hmm. potentially not having enough momentum to move. Right. How do you because I mean, there is like a lot of analyzing involved, obviously, like when you go for that approach, how do you keep yourself from overanalyzing? That's an issue that I have a lot of the time. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good point. Like sometimes you just you just like need to just jump, Uh you know, (laughs) you just need to go for it. So there's a a lot of trust, I think, that comes in when it comes to OCR and Ninja. So trusting your hands is something that I say often. People Mm. You know, I think of some of the challenging rigs in OCR that will have like a nunchuck or something. You know, as ninjas, we're a little bit more used to nunchucks, but in OCR, it's not as common. And people get to that section of the rig and they're already thinking about how this is hard, right? And like they kind of like mentally fail before they even actually physically fail. So the trust your hands thing is Mm -hmm. something I always tell people is you might not be able to hold yourself on a nunchuck for a long period of time, but you can might be able to hold yourself long enough to get to the next hold. So trust your hand in that movement and move forward. And so I think that trust though comes with with training, right? Obviously the first time you try something like that, you're not gonna just be able to say like, hey, trust your hands and you're gonna do it, right? (laughs) But I wish it worked that way. (laughs) Exactly. But over time, as you develop those strengths and those skills, it just becomes easier for you, it becomes more natural. And then it's just a mental game. Like you have the strength, you just need to put it all together. And that's what why I think OCR and Ninja are such a great metaphor for life is 
you know, when you hit that problem the first time, it's challenging. But as you keep training at it, keep practicing, it becomes easier and easier to the point where then, you know, now rings are, are easy for me, right? Rings are something that you, you maybe your first time you struggled with. And now it's like nothing. It's just like a break. Mm-hmm. And then you move up to the next, you know, the next hold. Maybe that's like a, a ball or whatever, right? That that becomes the next obstacle. And eventually that becomes easy. And then numchucks are the next yeah. hole, right? So you just keep making that you know kind of part of your journey and you get better and better at it yeah and um i have to look at my notes here because there was one thing that you said on your website which is jflores2032.com and why is it 2032 by the way so 2032 um is the year i'm gonna run for president that's awesome (laughs) (laughs) which is pretty cool so that comes from 2012 is around um election time right and i was looking at election stuff but also it was a time in my life I was still in college and I was really trying to find out how I could shape the world and I realized like you know being president is one big way where you can shape the world but that's like this crazy goal oh, yeah. like why would I you know how could I even think that I could be president and I realized well yeah it sounds crazy if I had to be president tomorrow but if I have 20 years you know I can start taking steps today that will help me become the person I need to be in 20 years, right? Same thing goes for for athletes, right? Like four years ago as a ninja, I would have been trash. (laughs) uh, You know, I admit it, like I could probably barely do much at all. But it's like, okay, if I want to make it to the top of Mount Midoriyama, maybe tomorrow, you know, as a, a listener that's just getting started, maybe tomorrow that sounds crazy. But if you commit to the longer journey and you start taking steps today that build you towards that, you know, in four or five years, that could be a very reasonable and, you know, common goal for you. So, you know, I think that's a, a key part of the process. But one thing I actually, I just updated the website. So now it's jfloresinspires.com. Oh man, I just looked at it like last night. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. I got to change that in the, in the show notes. Yeah. Okay. So jfloresinspires.com. Exactly. That's good. I like that. The quote uh, that I had found on there, hopefully the quote's still on there, is, uh, no obstacle can stop you without your consent. Can you tell us more about that belief and what prompted you to adopt that belief? It actually comes from my first obstacle course race ever. It was a warrior dash that some of my friends invited me to. I had no idea what to expect. I ran um, in high school a little bit. I ran some track and some cross country, but I had no idea what a mud run was or what obstacle course racing was or really what that ninja, I mean, this was like four years ago four or five years ago. So, I mean, Ninja Warrior was around, mm-hmm. but you didn't have like as many gyms and UNAA and NNL and stuff like that, right? So I didn't know that you could do this outside of the show, basically. And I so I signed up and we did it for fun and I had to shoot the cannon and we're supposed to run off. And in the first 400 meters, before I even got to an obstacle, I lost my shoe in like two feet of mud. <laughs> I heard this story, yeah. <laughs> and so I lose, I lose my, my shoe there and there's like 500 people coming after me. Wow. So it's like, what, you know, what do I do? There's no way I'm getting this shoe out. I'd have to like dig in there for a while. So I decided to keep running with one shoe. Um, and that wasn't very comfortable. So I took off the other shoe and threw it into the woods. Oh, that's dedication. <laughs> yeah. And I said, decided to, to finish barefoot. Wow. So in that moment, you know, when my shoe was stuck in the mud, I could have decided, Hey, you know, OCR is not for me. Like, I can't even keep my shoes on. (laughs) This is, this is, why would I even try to finish this race? But instead, I took the mindset of, you know, I decided that I'm going to run this, so I'm going to finish it, you know, no matter what obstacles come in my way, whether they're a designed obstacle by the race or it's just losing my shoe or I'm tired, whatever that is. And so that helped teach me that kind of like 
we expect life to be kind of like a 5k Mm -hmm. right where it's just this flat road and you go from start to finish and you know because my goal is to finish this 5k and you know it's not easy but it's this flat road Mm -hmm. life is more like an ocr or a ninja course right there's going to be all this stuff that you don't Mm -hmm. expect you know you're going to say okay i'm going to run 5k today you're going to start running and all of a sudden you're going to hit a wall or there's going to be a rope that you have to climb or a fire you have to jump over, an uh, ice bath that you have to get into. There's going to be all these things that happen in life that we don't expect. But if you're truly committed to whatever you're, you set out to do, like if you're really dedicated and, and committed to your goals, it doesn't matter. You're going to find a way around these obstacles. You're, you're not going to give that obstacle your consent for it to stop you, right? And it, I'm not saying that all these obstacles are going to be easy and you're just going to like magically do it because you're committed. Right. You're going to stop, right? You know, you might not be able to climb that rope the first time, but you're going to go back to the drawing board and figure out how I can climb that rope. And the next time you're going to get it and you keep going after that. Eventually, that rope is not going to be that hard for you. It's going to be part of the journey. And so I love, you know, to add to that quote more recently in life, I've added um, the obstacle is the way. Oh, do you know about that book? That's a very good book. I haven't read the book, but yeah, yeah you should like, read that for sure. Exactly. I need to add that to my library. But that's kind of adopting that mentality too, is that, you know, if you want to accomplish anything cool in life, there's going to be obstacles and you have to like embrace that piece of it. So now in my training, even it's just like more comfortable with the idea of failing stuff or trying ones that I know I'm not ready for, because I know that's part of the part of the process, part of the journey, which makes commitment easier because you're, you're okay with those failures and those challenges. And it also makes overcoming those failures and those challenges easier because you know, it's just part of the journey. Right. Right. That makes sense. What would you say is your favorite obstacle? And what would you say is your least favorite obstacle? Okay. Um, Not in life, in OCR. (laughs) (laughs) Or Ninja. I'll say, I'll go with OCR. I think that's a little bit easier. So there's, um, I guess the rigs in OCR are my favorite, whether that's um, ones that are created with using like Force 5 holds or Platinum Rig puts together some good rigs. Each race kind of has their own variety of what a rig is, right? But um, those are usually my favorite because I just enjoy the swinging and the different holds and they're always different. That's what I love about rigs is there's always a good variety. My least favorite has to be like carries. So I weigh like 130. Mm -hmm. Sometimes these rigs like, or sorry, sometimes these carries weigh more than I do. So I just did this race in South Africa Mm -hmm. called the Warrior Race, one of the coolest and most challenging races I've ever done. That's the reason why I went to South Africa specifically for this one because they're well known for super challenging rigs. What I didn't know was that they're also well known for very super challenging carries. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> so I got to this this tire drag and I see one of the top South African athletes in the country struggling like heavily to bring this tire back. And I'm like, if he's struggling that much, he's a much bigger guy than me and one of the top athletes in the world, this is going to be rough. And I started trying to move that tire and it was not moving. It was ridiculous. I had to eventually I had to like turn around backwards and lean back almost like if I was going to fall to the ground to be able to gain some extra momentum and body weight I guess due to gravity <laughs> for me yeah so you use that physics again <laughs> exactly yeah that's a good point there goes the engineering background if I wouldn't have thought of the physics behind that obstacle I would have just looked at it as this is a tire drag you walk forward and you like push down with your feet, right? Mm-hmm. I would not have been able to complete the obstacle that way. And which would have been funny because I went all the way across the world to get challenged. So in OCR, they give out a band, right? And if you can't complete an obstacle, you have to give up your band, right? And so that's why I went out there was to, to be challenged and feel like I might lose my band. Because in the States, I haven't really felt that in a while. Mm-hmm. 
And so instead of losing my band on one of these challenging rigs, which I thought would maybe be the case, it would have been on a tire tire drag. Oh, yeah, but those tires are heavy. Like, they're no joke. Yeah, this this was insane. And it was super long. It was, uh, I think, close to half a mile tire drag, which is insane. Wow. Just, like, flipping a a tire. I know it's a drag, but just, like, flipping a tire five times, that's, I don't know, 400 pounds. That's exhausting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they can be pretty rough. Prior to doing OCR, were there any sports that you did growing up that helped you out with doing the sport, or did you just kind of go right into it? My parents were great in the sense that they let me and my sister kind of, like, try out whatever sports we wanted, which was nice. I did everything from t-ball to taekwondo to basketball soccer mingled with boxing for a while um track cross country so i think part of that is great in the sense i did all these different things because ocr and ninja require so many different types of skill sets that i'm like used to trying to train in these different areas so um, understanding that if i want to be a top ocr athlete i need to be a, a top runner i also need to be you know, able to hang with the best ninjas. And if I want to be good at short courses, I might need to learn some parkour stuff. Understanding that and being comfortable with going into these different fields and practicing all these different sports has, I think, helped me become much more well-rounded, which I think is a key factor in my success because I can hit the runs just as hard as many of the top OCR athletes, and I can also attack the obstacles even better or, or just as good as them as well. Mm-hmm. So when I hit a hard rig in the middle of the course, I get much less fatigued or my heart rate doesn't spike as much as someone who doesn't train ninja and vice versa. Uh, ninjas or CrossFit athletes that go out there and try to take on an OCR that might not run as much as I do will do great on the obstacles, right? That's not going to be a problem for them at all, but they'll suffer on the run. Yeah, that's me. So. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I think that kind of helped me become much more well-rounded. And then obviously I, I only ran a couple of years. I did track for three years and cross country for two, um, but that definitely helped um, with my OCR back. Okay, cool. Oh, and then rock climbing more recently. I mean, that wasn't necessarily growing up, but obviously again, in the spirit of trying different sports and using the strengths from each of those sports to be a better ninja and to be a better OCR athlete. Um, rock climbing has been huge. Yeah, no, for sure. For that grip strength. Um, I went yep. a couple of days ago to Project Rock. Have you been there yet? In Fort Lauderdale? No, but I want to go. I might go tomorrow, actually. Oh, yeah. It's it's so <laughs> yeah. much fun. Like the 60-foot walls that they have there, they have um, a couple of them with the, the gaps in the middle. So you kind of have to like okay. go upside down for a second. And it's scary, but nice. it's so exhilarating. When you get to the top, oh, it feels so good. I can't wait. Yeah, it's a good time there. You bring up a really good point with the being well-rounded. Somebody asked me the other day, like, I told them, oh, I went to go take an intro to parkour class. And like, oh, that's cool. But like, what's your goal? Because you're doing ninja, right? It's like, yeah. Going to this class, uh, not only did it help the explosiveness, things like Mm -hmm. that for the warped wall, or let's say you got to jump off a trampoline or whatever the case, or salmon ladder. It's also like the fear factor and going for things instinctly that's some of the things that i really got out of that class i don't know if you've taken parkour before i think you said you did i did kind of like an intro type thing at one at the what is it 305 ninja academy so they in their like free intro class they do some obstacle stuff and they also do some parkour stuff mm-hmm. and i feel the exact same way right you learn these little techniques and these little tips that help so that day we started with um, precision jumps which I was like, okay, I'm never going to use this in an OCR, which may or may not be the case. Yeah. But for Ninja, it definitely helps oh, yeah. because um, when it comes to like the balance hops that we do at uh, ATP, for example, with the 
what are those the wall balls that uh we use when you're jumping off those balls that, yeah that the, the soft medicine balls yeah yeah exactly slam that balls pre- mm-hmm. slam balls there you go that pre- precision is so key yeah in being able to conquer that right like so you can have the strength to make the jump but if you don't have the precision to land it you're gonna roll an ankle or you're gonna fall off the obstacle or whatever right so you learn a little bit from each. I think the key is finding out how much you need of each of these things, right? Because we all, we all can't have a membership to a CrossFit gym, to a climbing gym, to a ninja gym, and a parkour gym, and run, and have the time to do all these things, right? So just trying to understand what your goals are. Do I want to be a ninja that does some OCR on the side, or do I want to be a top OCR athlete that uses ninja to improve, improve my grip strength or whatever? Just find out what your primary goal is and understand what are the key pieces to making that happen. So mm-hmm. um, OCR OCR athletes, for example, love training obstacles. That's why we do OCR, right? But a lot of the time we forget that 98% of the race is running, right? So if you're not doing your track workouts, if you're not putting in your long runs, you're not going to get the results you want, right? You're going to feel stronger in obstacles. You're going to feel like you can do better overall, but you're really not going to improve that much time where you're really going to gain that time is is uh, on the running, right? Yeah, I mean, and if you're tired and you're not conditioned enough to be able to do these obstacles after you've been doing all the, the running, then, yeah, you're going to be in trouble for sure. <laughs> exactly. And so now you're a member of uh, the, Conquer the, Con- the Conquer the Gauntlet Pro, right? Yeah. Pro team. Say that again. Conquer the Gauntlet Pro team. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Oh, that's a mouthful. How did you, uh, like, how did that happen? How did you get on the team and how long have you been doing that for? Yeah, so for those who don't know, um, Conquer the Gauntlet is an obstacle course race um, series, just like a Spartan race, just like a Tough Mudder. Um, they're mainly based out of the center of the country, so like Texas on up towards Iowa, like those center states. And they're very well known for their challenging obstacles. They're more obstacle dense than most OCRs, mm-hmm. and they're also general higher level of difficulty than most OCRs. And probably the closest to what Ninja is in the OCR world, if you know what I mean, right? So they have, for example, one of their more challenging obstacles is called Pegatron, which introduces a sideways pegboard, mm-hmm. right? You don't normally see that in OCR. They have an obstacle called Stairway to Heaven, which is like the devil steps in Ninja Warrior. Yeah. So for any ninjas listening that are looking into doing an OCR or, or looking for a new one because the ones that you're doing are, are too easy compared to your ninja skills and you don't necessarily like running, <laughs> um, try You're a- speaking my language right now. <laughs> Nice. I'm sure a lot of the ninjas listening are feeling the same way. <laughs> yeah. But try try to conquer the gauntlet because the obstacles are challenging enough. Even on the balance side, there's a slack line, which is challenging even for some ninjas. So it's what I loved about that series is it forces you to be very well-rounded and it challenges you to a much higher level than most OCRs do. So I kind of found this as like, this is the space I want to be in, right? This is the series that I want to f- support and I want to help grow mm-hmm. uh, and I want to challenge myself. And um, they had an established pro team already. So I was like, oh, that's, you know, when I was making my, um, I call them push goals. It's like 10 goals that I look at every year. And they're like, if any of these were to happen, like this would be pretty game changing. Mm-hmm. So like one of mine last, uh, in the last couple of years was to do a TED talk, which I was able to do because I set it down as a push goal. So I put Conquer the Gauntlet Pro Team down as a push goal. And but basically what you do is you put down this crazy goal, which seems insane. You reverse engineer what needs to happen in order for that crazy goal to, to happen. And so you start taking those steps. So, you know, I figured, well, if I podium at a few of their, if I show up to a lot of their races, that will help. If I podium at a bunch of those, you know, that would also help kind of 
improve my resume for it. Um, if I podium at other races that are similar style to it, that might help. So I built this kind of this plan and strategy behind how do I position myself as a, a potential pro team member mm-hmm. and started going after that. I started going to more Conquer the Gauntlets. I got a few podiums. I won one and they started to recognize that, right? And then they approached me for, for joining the team. Um, so I was added officially to the team at the end of 2017. So this will be my mm-hmm. first full year representing the team. But it's a cool opportunity for me to help represent the race series and help it grow um, and also represent some of the sponsors of that race series, which have helped me a lot with my training too, with the different tools that they provide us. So it's a lot of fun and um, just a cool way to keep growing the sport and myself as an athlete. Right. All right. And, um, you know, we talked yesterday and you mentioned to me that people kind of size you up based on uh, your weight and your height, right? So you said you're 130. How tall are you? 5'5". Five, 5'5". Five. Five, five. Okay. And uh, so you're on the lighter side, right? Yeah. Prior to becoming a pro team member, I guess like people kind of assume that you could do certain things because of your body type. Can you go into that a little bit? And can you tell us about the obstacle that people thought you were you were really good at just by looking at you and why it was so challenging for you? Yeah. So it's funny because this, this could go in two different ways. So usually especially early on in this in my career or, or when I'm racing against people who don't know me, they look at it as, okay, I'm not one of those guys that's going to be in the top, right? You don't look at me and think, okay, this guy's going to win the race. You know, mm-hmm. you look at maybe the bigger dude that looks like a he's jacked and like whatever, right? Or you looked at the person that's a tall cross-country runner, et cetera. Um, so in the past, it used to be I would get underestimated a ton. And I still think, you know, again, when I'm in a place where people don't know me previously the same way, or even in the ninja world, because I am technically newer to the kind of ninja competition world, you know, you might not think of me as being one of those top athletes. But more recently, when I've had a lot of success, people say, oh, like, I'd be able to dominate that rig too if I weighed, you know, 130 pounds, right? If I weighed 25 pounds lighter or et cetera. Mm -hmm. And also people that you know, view me as part of the pro team or seen me at an event, you know, kind of supporting and teaching stuff. They're like, oh, this has probably always been easy for him. You know, this is just something that comes naturally to him. I think a lot of times, um, whether we do it on purpose or not, we just try to find these excuses for why we can't do something. And so we give that person like these special powers or, or it's because they're light or it's because they're big or it's because they're tall. You know, I struggle with it too when I'm competing against some of these top ninjas like Les, for example, who's super tall. I'm like, you know, I, I could do that if I was 10 feet tall, right? And so I need to like check myself in it too. So I'm not saying any of these people are necessarily bad. I think it's a natural thing. It's actually the opposite. You know, I started couple of years ago being really bad at rigs i would get my butt kicked by these rigs and i um, used to follow the battle frog series race and they had they were one of the first ones to introduce a, a like legit challenging rig that i think could, could even challenge some ninjas and i would get stuck at this thing for like hours and it was really frustrating but i took that kind of no obstacle can stop you without your consent mentality and i kept going at it you know, that year, that season, I probably spent more time on a rig than anyone has in, in their lifetime, <laughs> just <laughs> going back and forth, trying to figure it out, trying to break it down and figure out more efficient ways. And 
you know, that's where I started using my engineering stuff and I started learning how to dissect these obstacles because I had to, because I couldn't do it just by like forcing it or just going through it. I had to find ways to be more efficient. I had to find ways when I was short and I didn't have the wingspan to be able to lache myself or to be able to put movements together in order to give me the right uh, momentum forward. So it was those struggles, those days where I failed a lot that made me better at these rigs and that made me from two years ago spending eight hours on a battle frog course until they told me the last bus was leaving and I had to leave <laughs> um, to two years later at OCR World Championships beating Jamie Ron, Captain NBC in the finals of the Master of the Rig competition technically being you know like a world champion wow that's crazy the rig so like if you were to look at me in those two years like that you go back two years ago you would, I wouldn't even have had a chance but because of that struggle, because of all those hours I spent on rigs and all the hours I spent outside of the competition trying to get better at those rigs um, is what drove me to be able to be at that level. So I guess just in general, whether no matter where you're at right now on any obstacle, I mean, I still struggle with others. Now I'm a rig, a rig master, whatever you want to call it, but I still struggle with the warped wallet, right? Like I can get it, but I'm not super consistent with it. So I need to put in mm-hmm. those hours. Um, so no matter where you're at, just... Again, understand that it's a journey and understand you got to put in those steps to, to get in there and to conquer. And eventually it's going to f- feel pretty easy. Right. Yeah. Um, as far as the master of the rig thing goes and, and congratulations, because that sounds like a Thank you. huge victory. The rigs are, are not easy. I mean, that's a struggle for me. <laughs> um, I've been trying to work on that myself. What exactly is the master of the rig competition and what does it mean to you to win that, especially against Jamie Ron from American Ninja Warrior? It was so cool. So it's it's an awesome experience. So it's at the OCR World Championships. It's available to anyone who qualified for the World Championships and attend. Last year was in Canada. Um, this year it's going to be in England. And basically they have the rigs that are set up from the race, but they make them a little bit more challenging, um, especially in the final rounds. They put some pretty crazy rigs in. One included a pegboard. Oh my God. I never heard of that. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> It was pretty insane. And it was like a floating pegboard. There's two sides. Because that's not hard enough. Yeah, you're on it and there's someone else on the other side making movements too. So it was pretty wild. And so I, I just remember signing up and they're putting all our names down. And mine, I don't know if it was because of alphabetical or if it was just random, but mine was right after Jamie. So it was Jamie, Ron, and, you know, and then Jay. So it, that's why I think it might have been alphabetical. And I'm like, crap, I'm probably going to be in the same heat as Jamie right from the beginning. Like, I'm screwed. I should have just stayed home. (laughs) um, Anyways, the way they format it is it's four athletes at a time attacking this rig. The top two that make it through, like you get a a, a win, basically. And at the bottom two get a loss. And it was like a double elimination. So if you got, if you weren't in the top two twice, then you were out. As long as you got first or second you continued to move on right and this year in particular was wild because it was at um it was at night (laughs) and it was raining so it was dark our lighting was two trucks talk about obstacles (laughs) (laughs) yeah and it was wet and cold so think of some of the most challenging rigs you've seen in ocr and then you have to do it when your hands are wet and when you can't see as well i mean it wasn't like impossible to see anything but again it's different when it's light out versus when it's dark and it's cold because it was canada and you're going after against some of the top OCR um, athletes and ninjas in the world. So um, Michelle Warnke won for the for the women. Oh, that's no surprise. Yeah, exactly. Of some of the people that were there. And so, you know, I went into it and I'm thinking like, 
I'm pretty good compared to these OCR athletes, but these ninjas are going to kill me, right? But I decided to go out after anyways, and I have some friends that were with me. Bless them for, like, staying there in the rain and supporting me and holding my hoodie while I was competing and then (laughs) giving it back to me when when I was done. Yeah, they're amazing. Those are good friends. Shout out to all (laughs) you guys. And so I started getting into it, and, you know, I was having – I was doing well. I was having a good time. I was enjoying the rigs. Each one was different. You know, it was was like I was in my ninja playground. I was having fun and enjoying it and – analyzing and doing the stuff that I like to do when I see a new rig, but I got to see a bunch of new ones. (laughs) So I just really started having fun. Um, And they got more and more intense. It was just so fun to watch because you never know when someone's going to slip up or when someone's going to pull a big move and you've got four people at the same time. So it's like this wild battle going back and forth. Uh, It was just really high energy and and exciting to watch. Mm -hmm. Um, And I started getting closer and closer to finals without having any, any losses. So I'm like, nice, you know, maybe I'll, Maybe I'll at least get in the top four, or, you know, finals or something. I ended up ended up just being me and uh, and Jamie. And I remember again, like I'm pretty sure nobody except for my really close friends thought I had a chance of winning at all. And Jamie's extremely skilled as a ninja in in all aspects of it. But I think what I had was I analyzed it a little better than he did. And one of the things that I noticed when I look back at the video is that he was very good and efficient in his moves or ineffective in his moves sorry but um when it comes down to this speed thing you need to sometimes be a little bit more um inefficient in order to go for speed if that makes sense (laughs) and I'll, i'll give you an example to try to make it make more sense so there were some rings involved right and so normally as a ninja you're going to try to pull a big swing in order to get your movement forward make it easier right Mm -hmm. in this case when you're just trying to move to the next thing, I actually shortened some of my backswing so that I would have enough to get to the next hold, but not so much that it would slow me down in the backwards movement and then move forward because I didn't need that full swing to get to the next hold. I shortened it just enough to get through and, and that caused me to get through the first couple sections of the rig faster than Jamie. Mm-hmm. And I think that then kind of threw him off a little and he ended up making a mistake and i actually made a mistake too because i could feel the pressure from him that's the crazy thing about the head-to-head and like when you watch team ninja warrior how exciting it is because of that head-to-head pressure oh yeah it's insane um but his mistake was a little bit bigger and he actually fell off um so i was able to hold on and pull off the win so it's just like understanding you know what his strengths are and what mine were and, and not letting the idea of overall in general jamie's a better ninja than i am i can tell you that but in that moment it was like that david goliath moment where you know i have this particular strength Mm -hmm. that's going to help me in this situation and if you can as an athlete in your competitions find out you know what section of this course am i going to be best at um, and how do i maximize that you can do much better than normal, right? So maybe there's an obstacle that's a ninja killer, but you're really good at speed. So you really focus on how do I get to the ninja killer faster than anyone else? Or maybe there's a ninja ninja killer and you're pretty good at that one. So you conserve your energy so that you make sure when you get to the ninja killer, you're one of the few that completes it. So just trying to understand that and really analyzing the course yourself, other athletes being aware is, is super key. That's what got me that. And it just felt awesome. Like I felt like, I don't know, it just felt cool. It was <laughs> there with my friends and they were so supportive that like that was the first thing I thought of was like hugging them for being there. And then I thought of like the journey and like being on those rigs in the past for so long to then now being the master of the rig world champion, just like how it all paid off and how it's worth it in the long run. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean... 
that's a lot to go from that struggle to just being the master that's <laughs> that's awesome um, just sounds funny too and cool i guess <laughs> it's like ring master but it's rig master <laughs> exactly it's like yoda yeah. it's like yoda <laughs> um so yeah we've we've talked a lot about the rig here and we'll get into ninja in like just a second but do you have any top tips for practicing the rig for someone who's maybe not that skilled at it yet and also, are there other things you can do? Like, let's say you don't have access to a rig. You don't live too close to a ninja gym and, or an OCR gym. Are there other things that you can do for conditioning to kind of help you with the rig? Um, yeah, so in general, a few of the key tips is it's all about momentum. Yeah, you need to be strong. Yeah, you need to have the grip strength. But I think a lot of people know different ways where you can develop that. What it really comes down to is understanding your body movement on these different holds and how you can get from one to another most efficiently. Mm -hmm. Usually that has to do with swings. And the simplest way to explain this swing is I think if you think of just rings. So for those of you who are training or, or have done just a set of rings, you know, like eight rings in a row or whatever, right? You're usually taught to build your swing on the rings so that you can build momentum to the next one. That's the exact same mentality and, and thought process you want to take to a rig. The only difference is, is depending on the type of hold that you're using, the type of swing, the type of momentum is going to be a little different, right? So for example, a nunchuck, you might have to be closer, you know, holding your L in order to hold that. So you're not going to be able to develop the same type of swing with a ring where your arm is fully extended. You need to understand like how you do that. So one, one key thing from nunchuck, for example, is um, let's say you're going from a ring to a, nun, a nunchuck. One, the ring or whatever hold you're, you had before that is probably easier to grab than this nunchuck, right? So one of the key things is never let go of your previous hold until you're confident in your next one. Don't stay there too long too, because you might build your, you might break your momentum. But the key point is your your previous hold is probably stronger than a nunchuck, right? Mm. So you're gonna want to make sure you have good positioning with that, a good hold, until you get comfortable with where you're at on your nunchuck, and then build with your backhand so that you can swing over, grab the nunchuck, and keep moving forward. Another key thing there is a lot of times when people lose momentum. Um, they don't know what to do next and they're always looking forward and this next hold is way too far away you don't feel like you can reach it and you're just hanging from this ring or nunchuck or whatever hold you're stuck on and it feels like there's no way to go mm -hmm. one of the key things there is actually to look backwards so it doesn't make sense right why would i want to go backwards on a rig but the thing is you just let go of this ring or whatever hold was previous to you it's probably still swinging so there's a better chance that you'll be able to grab this hold that is swinging than the stationary hold that's in front of you and you have no momentum. So, you know, look back, grab that ring, rebuild your momentum and then move forward. I've seen way too many people just die on a rig because they're hanging there without any way to move forward when this, you know, thing right behind them is, is swinging to, that could help them. Mm -hmm. And then last is just do your training on different types of holds. So if, if you can get some uh, force five holds or some atomic holds uh, to train on, even when you're just doing pull-ups at home to get your hands used to holding these different types of objects, that can be, you know, very helpful. Um, I've seen some people use their holds for like farmer's carries. So they'll hang a plate from their ninja holds and, and hold them upside down. Just like get creative with all those kind of things. So you get used to using the different holds oh, that, that one's a good one uh i've yeah. done that one before with uh with coach casey i would have never thought of that yep. when i like injured my shoulder mm. i couldn't hang for two weeks so 
she's like, oh, try this out. And yeah, it works your grip a lot. One idea, I want to make a video of this. I guess I'm kind of spoiling it already, but I will because you're awesome and uh, hopefully it'll help people. Mm -hmm. It depends on your dog. But one thing I thought of is like take a really hard hold. We have a small dog, so he's not very um, hard to hold on a leash. But so I I have my fattest nunchuck and I added it to the end of his leash. And so he's not very disciplined in how he, when we walk him, he likes to try to run off on his own, you know, his own direction. So by holding this big hold, I'm developing my grip strength while just walking the dog right i don't even have to do anything hard. that's awesome if you have a very disciplined dog and that listens and walks you know like nicely and doesn't try to pull on your leash then you're not really going to gain much yeah <laughs> <laughs> but um i just thought it was kind of a cool idea one day when i had my holds next to his leash and i was like what if i added this to the end um so just think of what those weird different ways are that you could include ninja type holds to your training um, and then your other part of the question was, is if like, if you don't have access to a ninja gym or like all these cool holds and stuff, like how do I get better at rigs? So one of the things is just your dead hang ability in general, right? So that's the, I guess the simplest way is um, just having a pull up bar or, or even a place to hang from. I actually recommend a ledge of some sort because a lot of times in ninja you're gonna need to put your hands on like a staff like the cliffhanger or something that's not like a, a regular yeah like a cliffhanger something that's not like a regular bar hold it's usually something more challenging that's gonna challenge your your fingers strength in a different way yeah um so hanging from different types of objects trying to build your one arm your ability to hang from one arm is important as well holding your l's right so like lock offs training on those kinds of things are really important this is kind of still having access to a gym but when i injured my knee um, not this past year but in 2016 um, i couldn't run for a while so i picked up rock climbing it was a brand new rock climbing gym by where i was at and we didn't have an injured gym yet um, this is when i lived in wisconsin and i started rock climbing and bouldering a lot bouldering helped a ton i think that's really what helped me get ready because my grip strength was on point and bouldering is all about like body positioning and um, like how you how you move. So solving those challenging bouldering problems, especially the ones where you're like going at weird angles or where you have to do like campusing, like that all really helped me build the strength that I needed and the body control that I needed for rigs. So prior to World Championship, the Ninja Gym finally had like just opened in Wisconsin, like right before. So I didn't really have a lot of specific ninja training mm-hmm. going into the Master of the Rig competition. A lot of it was more um, rock climbing and bouldering com- uh, practice. Yeah, yeah, no, the bouldering is is uh, is awesome. I did that the other day at Project Rock and like I I think I've gotten maybe like mm, one or two V3s you know how it goes by the level right and like V0, V1 those are like the beginner ones and I was trying a I think it was a V1, V2 but it was inclined and it was so hard like for the (laughs) level that I'm at it, it was so hard and I was just like wow this is a puzzle every time you you try to go through it but then you figure out something different that's kind of like the same thing with the rig. You figure out what works for you, like what swing, what what hold, you know. So that's definitely good. Exactly. Again, bouldering is such a great example and metaphor for life because it's just, you know, they call it a problem. They call it a bouldering problem. Yeah. And then also you, you literally have to attack it like a bunch of times and you fall a bunch of times and it's like becomes normal. Make sure that you share this episode on Instagram. You can screenshot it 
put it in your Instagram story and let people know to check it out. Cause you know, this is the ninja community. We are ninjas supporting ninjas and that's what this sport is all about. You know, we overcome obstacles together. Let me know if you guys apply these tips too. I hope that you do. Uh, he really knows what he's doing here with the rig and it's just so inspirational to hear him talk about you know, where he started with the rig and not being able to do it at all, spending hours on the course trying to figure it out, to now becoming the master of the rig at the OCR World Championships. And the next episode that we're going to be doing is actually going to be more ninja-based, so stay tuned for that. If you want to get in touch with me, you can find me on Instagram at the underscore ice underscore ninja. And if you want to get in touch with Jay, and you know, hit him up about questions with the rig or other obstacles, you can find him on there as well. He is at Coach J Flores. And I will also be putting his other social media info in the show notes for this episode. I appreciate your time so much. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast to get some more valuable content on everything Ninja. Implement these tips, have some more fun on the rigs, and have a great weekend. I will talk to you next time.